I'm Hillary Hendershot, your host, and this is the Retirement Years on Profit Boss Radio, episode 144. The Retirement Years on Profit Boss Radio is your weekly wealth building and retirement mastermind. Profit Boss is also a movement for women who want to reach their full wealth potential and be financially free. Let me be your guide as you defy the odds, take control of your money, grow your wealth, and retire well. Do you want the secrets of wealth and retirement to be yours? This is the place. I'm Hillary Hendershot. I'm a certified financial planner running a leading advisory firm for women and couples, and I'm sharing with you real stories from real life and real people who are making it happen. Forget Wall Street. You ready? Let's do this. So to follow up on last week's episode, which was how to plan for retirement together, I wanted to include some of my own lessons learned. I think that some of you who are out there, if you clicked on this episode title and you're interested in knowing how to plan for retirement together, that you may have some questions about where you are with your financial planning, where your your partner is with his or her financial planning, and questions or concerns about how to move forward effectively. And I do think in a in fact, I know that it's possible for people who don't have the same level of financial understanding or motivation or commitment to still be successful. And so, you know, if, if you if you didn't find yourself eagerly talking about your finances and investments and easily adopting a financial plan that both of you move forward on, you both agree about how much should be spent and how much should be saved, you know, that's a perfect world, right? And I would say, one in 10 of my clients looks like that, right? So let's talk about what to do if that's not where you find yourself, okay? So what I've done is I've taken, in this case, three examples of clients that I've worked with who I think have done a great job of coming together despite maybe at some point it didn't look like they were necessarily going to get there or the path to get there wasn't clear. In this case, I'm going to be talking about husband and wife. Obviously, you could be any gender in your relationship. That's really not relevant. It just so happens that these people are heterosexual couples. So I'm just going to say husband and wife. So for the first couple, I call this couple the quiet success story. So they were happily married. They were both high-performing executives, and they were working and saving very diligently. They got married later in life, so they already had savings when they came together, but they didn't necessarily share about the money during their courtship. And so I think when you don't share about something like that for so long, it becomes like this, let's say, elephant in the room. And maybe it wasn't an elephant in the room on a daily basis, but the longer it goes in your relationship without sharing those specifics, like the numbers, it sort of seems like the chances you're going to share about that easily go down, okay? So they were working and saving very diligently for many years, and then they were both approaching what I think of as this critical age. And I think that's the 10 to 12 years before you actually want to stop working, retire, or achieve financial freedom. And what I mean, when I say critical age, I mean that if you don't put some anchors in the ground, if you don't really have some concrete financial plans, unless you're one of these who just happens to spend way less than you can afford, 
And I did mean that the way that I said it. If you spend less than you can afford, in other words, you have excess resources, you really run the risk that you're going to mess things up, to put it succinctly. And I think that people start to figure that out. There, There's a phase in life where you're just socking away as much money as you can. And then one day people wake up and they say, there's a lot of vagueness here. And I am not down with the vagueness. And so you start to get this cognitive dissonance. And, and that's, uh, that is when a lot of people come to my office for the first time, frankly. So I think she found herself in that place. She wondered what's happening with our marital financial planning. I don't know how much money he has. I know how much money I have. I'm willing to share with him, but I need to know kind of what we're doing here. She met me after hearing a podcast episode and she was really excited that I didn't have any products to sell or to push on them as a couple. She's been uh, someone who's participated in a lot of networking events. And so to her, a financial advisor was really an insurance salesperson, which is not what I do, not what a fiduciary does. And she really wanted to schedule a meeting. And she wanted to have this meeting be an opening to the marital financial planning conversation. So she invited the husband to the call. And then she called me before their first call conversation with me together. And she said, look, I don't really know what to say. If I recall correctly, we asked him to upload investment statements. And what he did was he sent a, a Word doc or an email with just amounts, balances on it. So there was like maybe possibly a little bit of resistance. But anyway, she said, look, I don't know how to open the conversation. And I said, you know, I, I think I can do that. I, I think I can position this as an opportunity for you two as a couple. And and that is what I did. So we got through the initial conversation. And, and with me, when I work with new prospective clients, we do two complimentary calls. So in the first call, we just talk about the investor, the individual, and we talk about what are your goals and values and how did you get to where you are and where would you like to go and who are the people in your life that matter and where are your financial resources going to flow? And if you know you really dream about your todays and tomorrows, what what could we do together that would really just be a dream for you, really enjoyable for you? And so then we go away and we, Jen and I, my associate advisor and I, we put together a proposed plan and we talk about an investment strategy and then we come back together with you and we talk about what we would do with your money and why and why we build the portfolios that we build. So anyway, this couple who I'm calling the quiet success story came to the second conversation and we still hadn't really heard much from the husband. And, you know, he was pretty open during the second call. And then at the end of the call, I just said something like, how about we start now? And he nodded his head and the smile on her face. And when I say call, I always do video calls. So I'm looking at these two people. Um, We do have people come to the office, but a lot of people just want to do virtual calls. And the smile on her face was huge. And I knew that we had really passed a milestone for her, that we had really done something wonderful that was meaningful for her. And, you know, I compliment her for for having the courage to ask him to show up at the meeting and and it worked out. So we were able to point out, look, life is happening, time is passing. If you don't plan, you're just going to end up unplanned. So you can either face that discomfort today or you can face that plus probably some financial mistakes tomorrow. Right. So in this case, these folks are still they're still clients and things are going quite well. And and now I happen to know that they talk about money together quite easily. So it's a big win. 
Okay, the next client story I'm calling excellent teamwork. <laughs> so over the course of this couple's relationship, they've passed the baton a number of times in terms of who is the high earner. So at some point she was earning more, at one point he was earning more, but they did settle, they bought a home and they had a baby and he really, his his career hit a sometimes the word is uh, hockey stick. So his income went way up. His He started having high titles, VP, executive, like this. So his positions are now really high stress and he does work in Silicon Valley. So it seems to me like, you know, these roles are take 18 to 24 months for him. So he's constantly changing jobs. Unfortunately, I think he would prefer to just have one job, but it seems like that's the kind of industry he ended up in. Again, his positions are really high stress and he has very little time to dedicate to things outside being present with his family and successful at his job, right? So he doesn't want to come to meetings with me. She, on the other hand, has a consulting business. She manages that business. um, So she isn't as stressed out as he is. Um, So there really is a lot of successful yin and yang that's happening between them as a couple. They were married to each other a lot earlier than the previous couple. So they've sort of everything they've done financially, they've done together. And she kind of takes the role of coach or point person or due diligence person, because every time he changes jobs, you know, she's the one who reminds him to reach out and manage the changes with his new 401k and to get online with his new health care and make sure we have we hit their financial planning team, understand the lay of the land in terms of, you know, can they do some of the more sort of exotic uh, retirement deferred tax um, retirement accounts, like potentially a mega backdoor Roth IRA, right? So we we sort of comb through the plan paperwork to see what's possible there. And, um, you know, generally at this point, she is the one who attends the financial planning review meetings. Uh, We rarely talk to him or see him. And, you know, it may be that this is a phase in their relationship. I do think that they're both financially savvy, uh, equally financially savvy. So I don't think that it's a skill set that's missing or a level of interest, but they really truly have delegated. So he's doing the earning, she's managing the financial planning, and it works. It works because we have a documented plan for them. So, you know, it's not a different plan or set of recommended actions if he comes to the meeting or if she doesn't. And because they were both present in the initial conversations, their plan, it involves both of their goals and interests and needs. Let's take a quick break from today's main episode for today's Money Wise segment. Today, we are talking about kids and credit cards. Now, you have to be 18 years old in the US to have a credit card in your own name, but at the age of 18 with very little credit or working history, it's gonna be really hard to actually get credit. And if you are financially responsible, it's okay to have a credit card that you pay off every month. In fact, it can protect you from some types of fraud and just generally make it difficult, more difficult for fraudsters or criminals to get into your actual bank account because if what you're handing out is your credit card, 
card number, then the only money any criminal can take belongs to the credit card company, not you. Now, it's really important for us as parents to be teaching and modeling good financial behavior. I'm sure you know this. And in a perfect world, at some point while your child is in potentially high school, maybe the age of 15 or 16, depending on how life goes in your household, how independent that child is and how responsible they are, frankly, and how willing they are to answer to, you know, the standards that you set as a parent for how you want money spent, you're going to get a credit card in their name. So they're going to be an authorized user on either your debit card or one of your credit cards. Again, I prefer the credit card. If that works for you and you're given your financial situation, I recently saw the results of a Wallet Hub study that I thought were absolutely fascinating. So here we go. The 2019 Kids with Credit Cards survey turns out moms are 3.6 times more likely than dads to give their kid a credit card. What's up with that? One in four children aged 12 to 18 have a credit card. 72% of kids have a debit card or credit card versus 69% that have a cell phone, that actually really surprised me. I thought something like 95% of kids had a cell phone and I would have guessed 55% of kids have a debit or credit card, but there you go. 97% of parents say kids should get a cell phone before a credit card. Okay, so I'm not sure how those numbers add up, but there you have it. Um, The biggest reasons our kids should have credit cards, number one, credit building. Obviously, they're, they're going to need to get credit in their own name at some point, but you have to sort of climb that ladder slowly. Uh, it's, it's Number two reason is it's easier to track their spending. You can see those line items right there. Number three reason, they need to get to financial independence, and this is a great way to teach them. And the next three reasons are financial literacy, convenience for them, and convenience for you. <laughs> I actually think that reason should be a little bit higher on the list because, you know, you can't be a walking ATM your whole parenting years. 46% of parents are more comfortable talking about either sex or drugs with their kids than money. I don't really know what to say about that. I'm hoping that none of those parents are you, my profit bosses, that you're, I hope that you're talking easily and openly about how you think about and plan for your daily spending as well as your financial future with your kids. Here's one shocker, 2.4 times more daughters have credit cards than sons. I don't even know how to parse that. I have no idea what would explain that, but it's important that we resolve this problem. The need for financial literacy and credit building is gender agnostic. Your sons need to learn how to manage money just like your daughters. So let's make that number more equal. One in five parents mistakenly believe that you need to be 21 years old to get a credit card with your name on it. Nope, that's 18. And 92% of parents think schools should teach kids about responsible credit card use. Are schools not teaching kids about this? Come on, we've got to do this, people. Uh, 61% of parents monitor their kids' spending, and 11% of parents say their kids have used their credit card without permission. But here's the piece that really frustrates me. 
dads, it turns out, are 3.4 times more likely than moms to monitor their kids' credit card spending. I don't know what to make that mean. If I had to guess, maybe moms feel like it's not nice to monitor credit card spending, but I do think it's really important to make sure that you know what your kid is spending, especially in the beginning. Um, there's uh, uh, there's art and science to giving your kids that independence and, and, and privacy, but in the beginning, you really need to make sure your kid is on a good financial path that you know what they're spending on. And um, moms, I want to empower you to monitor kids' credit card spending as well. We'll link to the entire Wallet Hub study in today's show notes at hillaryhendershot.com forward slash 144. Hey, Profit Boss. If after listening to today's episode, you think you might be ready to take meaningful actions with your wealth and perhaps consider working with me and my firm in some way, then I'd love to hear from you. Just go to hillaryhendershot.com forward slash hello. That's Hillary with one L and Hendershot with two T's dot com slash hello. When I'm not sitting behind the mic, I'm running Hendershot Wealth Management. We're a fee-only fiduciary financial advisory firm. We work with women and couples to take their finances to the next level. Everything I talk about here on the show gets personalized and put to work for my clients. So I ask you, why wait till tomorrow when you can start realizing your full wealth potential today? The life you want to live, it doesn't have to wait. Just imagine the freedom and joy you'll experience when you've secured your retirement and enjoyed the years leading up to it. That's what I want for you. That's what I do for my clients. And if that's what you want for yourself, just head on over to my website right now, hillaryhendershot.com slash hello. All of our initial conversations are totally complimentary. So let's just see where a friendly conversation may lead. hillaryhendershot.com slash hello. Okay, the third and final couple for today, I'm calling everybody doesn't have to do 50%. And this is for you folks out there who find yourself in a romantic relationship, romantic partnership, where you possibly have more money motivation, maybe more money maturity, maybe more energy about uh, or maybe optimism about creating financial freedom. And so your partner is kind of like a, a deadbeat financial partner. And I say that with no value judgment. Okay. Uh, but so this is for you. So in this case, the the gender roles are reversed from the traditional. She's far more interested in achieving financial freedom and retiring successfully than he is or demonstrates himself to be. He really never paid attention to his finances. He's a decent earner. He comes from a culture where building wealth isn't something you really do or trust financial institutions to partner with you in. Um, He didn't want to talk about money or share about money, but she was always very clear and confident that she was going to do what she needed to do to be financially independent. She happened to work for a few really great firms where she earned some equity compensation above and beyond her wage. So she did have good savings and she always maxed out her 401k. So she's a great saver. Now, she really could never talk him into saving 
Okay. So he's never saved in a Roth or a 401k or save really even in a savings account. Okay. And this is the point where in some relationships stuff starts to break down. But in this case, she's just really clear that that's not going to be the end of the story for them. So she had all the savings come out of her paycheck. She saved from her income and they spend what's left of her income plus his income and it works, right? She really has it work. And I don't know if he really knows how grateful he really should be to her because he's on a path to to be able to stop working when that's appropriate for their ages. And I don't see that that would have happened without her. So the weakness or risk in this kind of partnership is that if something happens to her, I'm not entirely sure how he would manage the wealth that they've amassed together. But this is, I, I kind of hold it up as a shining beacon of hope for, I often speak with people who are super frustrated and they think about terminating a, a, a romantic relationship that otherwise works because they can't get their partner on board financially. And, you know, I mean, it's a different situation where in this case, you know, he's not overspending. He doesn't have any bad financial habits. He just sort of goes along, he earns and he spends. And, you know, she kind of gives him an allowance or she doesn't let more than she's willing to have them spend as a couple sit in the checking account. And, And it works for them. So this doesn't hand wave some of the issues that some of you are facing, which are much more financially destructive than that. Um, But I hope this helps. I hope it provides clarity and um, potentially a role model or something to mimic or think about when you decide how to work out the financial planning aspects of your financial romantic partnership. Uh, Overall, if you're struggling to plan for retirement together, I do think that bringing a professional advisor in on your conversations has tremendous value. I think you can see in these examples the role that I was able to play as the advisor. We can provide accountability, the opportunity to get clarity on what are the goals that you want to achieve, and then make sure you're on board with a plan to move forward. Hey, if you're having financial planning conversations as a couple and you want to share either a a question that you have that I can answer on the show, or if you have another strategy or a way that you and your partner have worked it out in a non-traditional, unexpected way, please share it with us. Just grab your mobile device and use the voice recorder app right there on the device. Record yourself asking the question or sharing the tip or success strategy that you have and send it to media at hillaryhendershot.com. We love to hear from you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Profit Boss Radio. As we wrap things up here for today, I need to review with you the things I have to disclose as a fiduciary financial advisor offering wealth management services through my firm, Hendershot Wealth Management, LLC. You should know that the opinions I express on Profit Boss Radio are my own and they can change. The content I provide in the show is for general education. It's not intended as specific investment advice, nor do I recommend any specific financial products. Unlike how I roll at home with my husband, I can't guarantee that my statements, opinions, or forecasts are always 100% right. Of course, I wish I could peek into that proverbial crystal ball, but so far, I haven't found it. Past performance is not indicative of future results. 
I talk a lot about indexes and I want you to know you can't actually buy an index because of course when you take a list of companies and create a product that allows people to invest in those companies, there are fees and expenses involved that reduce returns. Remember, all investing involves risk, which as you know, means you could lose your money. And I have to tell you that there is no guarantee that any investment plan or strategy will be successful. And that should keep my lawyers happy. Have a great day.